And you guys can have a seat. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Pastor Joey, thank you for sharing your pulpit um, with me. We're continuing on in our series of Ephesians, and Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be today, and um, we're going to be looking at the first six verses. I think it's important as we understand the message this morning, it's called the sanctified being sanctified. The sanctified being sanctified. Now, what does the word sanctified mean? And the word sanctified means holy, or the action or process that makes one holy before God. Because when the moment of salvation happens, when we receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, or when the gospel of Jesus Christ grips us and saves us, and God saves us, then what happens is we are sanctified. We would call this the doctrine of justification or the idea that the righteousness of Christ covers us now, that we're covered by Christ, that our sin no longer plays that in our eternal outcome. But then there's this process of sanctification that's supposed to happen or to live out in our life. The Apostle Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 8, the idea that we're conformed into the image of his son Jesus Christ each and every day. That's the process of sanctification. So we're sanctified when we're saved. We would call this justification. And then we're sancti- the, sa- the sanctification process is God making us more like Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul talks about this in regards to us as the church collective unifying around this idea of being made more like Jesus Christ. So Ephesians chapter 4, with that in mind, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, I want to read. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body... And one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then I'll read verse 7, but we're going to stop there as we look at this and unpack this. But next week... Pastor Joy will unpack this part of, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So that that will be the that will be kind of the pivot towards uh, verses seven and, and following as you kind of get into the therefore part. But let's pray. Precious Father, we pray, Lord God, that you would illuminate your word to us this morning. We pray, Lord God, that you would the power of your Holy Spirit, take the Word of God as a sharp, two-edged sword, divide between our soul and spirit and our bone and our marrow. Use this Word to strengthen us. Use this Word to change us. Use this Word in our life to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Let it be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I pray, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, that everything that is said and done here today 
would bring your son Jesus honor and glory and praise. And Lord, as always, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. So the sanctified being sanctified. It's this this idea that Unity in the body of Christ is essential, but it doesn't come for the sake of unity. I think people are trying to find things to unify around. And and what's interesting is this. We, as the church of Jesus Christ, should already be unified. We are already sanctified Christians, which means Christ has saved us and made us holy through the idea of justification. Okay, so justification, let's back up. Romans 8, justification, remember, it's not just as if I'd never sinned. Justification is, it's the righteousness of Christ imputed or declaring me righteous or holy. Like I'm holy because Christ says I'm holy. And so when I stand before God on judgment day, God looks and sees Christ, not me. And so every sin that I've ever committed, past, present, and future, has been forgiven. And the gospel assures that. And what is the gospel? Jesus is God. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus bodily rose from the dead. I repent of my sin. I believe the message of the gospel. And I receive Christ into my life. It's what we're going to do afterwards at the end of the service where we take the body and blood of Jesus Christ into our life as that reminder that Christ is in us working and doing. We are feeding ourselves spiritually. So this is the process of sanctification. So we're declared sanctified or we're made holy, but then there's this process of living it out. And let me explain to you the process, the way that this works. I'm married, okay? When I walk down the aisle and I stood in place, then my wife walked down the aisle, beautiful bride, and there was all this music and all of these people there, and my wife and I looked at each other, and we said, I do. And when we said, I do, we made a commitment that we were going to be married for the rest of our lives. We're 20 years in, very exciting, okay? We've got many more to go. But what would have happened if We said, I do, and then I walked out the door, and she walked out the door, and she got her own place, had her own income, did her own thing, and I walked out the door and did my own thing, and we never really got together except one day a week. What kind of marriage would that be? Pretty poor marriage. But yet so many people call themselves Christians And they invite Christ into their life. They're justified by Christ. They say, I do. And all of a sudden then, they walk out and they said, I'll see you next Sunday, Jesus. And that's when the sanctification of process works. That, you know, every Sunday, I'm yours, Jesus. But the other six days, they're all mine. See, the sanctification process is to live out this Christian life every moment of every day through the power of the Holy Spirit of God at work in our lives. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. And there's two points. If you're taking notes, write this down because there's two points that I want you to see here that the Apostle Paul gives. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. 
So the Apostle Paul is writing this from prison. This is important because he's giving, he's, he's basically validating what he says he's asking them to do or what he's asking them to do. He's validating it. He's saying, I'm suffering for the gospel. I'm living this out no matter what the cost. I'm living this out because it costs something. I'm living this out. And so therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I'm urging you to walk basically as I walk. So basically, I want you to live this out every moment, every second of the day. This is called the sanctification process or being sanctified to walk in a manner worthy of which you are called. So if you're taking notes, here's the first thing. We are to live according to our calling. We are to live according to our calling. If you have your Bibles, turn with me over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Turn over there or get on your app or your phone or whatever. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 23 through the end. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica, who's ex- which is experiencing great persecution, and he's writing the very end, kind of the benediction of what, of what he had just written. And in this benediction to this suffering church in Thessalonica, verse 23, he writes this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify... There's that word again, sanctify, basically the holy, the action or process that makes one holy before God. This process sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the sanctification process is working to make us more blameless. Or Romans 8, 29, make us more like Christ. And he's writing this in benediction at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you, there's that word calling again, if we're to live according to our calling, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. I like what the King James says. It says, faithful is he who called you who will also do it. See, the pressure here is how do I live a sanctified life? How do I do this in my own strength and in my own power? It's impossible. And we're going to get there. But let's read on because these are some of my favorite verses. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Verse 25. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Afterwards, I'll be doing holy kisses, brothers, in the back. Holy, okay? So if you, if you feel untouched or unloved, let me tell you something. I'll, I'll risk the COVID, give you a hug. I did a funeral a couple weeks ago, and one of the things in the suicide note of this 24-year-old boy was the fact that he hadn't been touched in four and a half weeks because of the COVID. Tragic. But he says, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. It's kind of weird, awkward. We don't see that happening. It's not preached on. So let me preach on it, and we're moving on. I put you under the oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. Verse 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So now the Apostle Paul's writing here. He's using a lot of the same language here in the benediction. 
The idea that you're going to be sanctified or that you're living according to your calling. Faithful is he that called you that will also do it. So what is he saying? I, prisoner, therefore urge you to walk in a manner of the, of the calling to which you have been called with all humility. Now, he gives a grocery list. Now, every time you see a grocery list, not a grocery list, but a, but a, but a way of behaving according, this is a list that we're to exemplify because we're being sanctified, okay? It's not a list that you're trying to emulate so that you can look and perceive godly, okay? This is really important. It's if you are godly, you will exemplify these things, Okay, so it's this, it's I press into my marriage with my wife, loving her, caring for her, and therefore the things that I do as a byproduct are I provide for her, we go out on dates together, we do, all of those are byproducts of my love for her. So the issue is anytime you see a list, it's Loving Jesus Christ, because remember, what's the first commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. When you love God, then the byproduct will be the list. When you're empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, then the byproduct will be you'll do this list. Doing the list doesn't make you holy. No, you're holy. Christ is at work in you, and the byproduct will be you'll do this list. Does that make sense? See, that's what the Apostle Paul's saying, that I'm urging you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He's, he's emphasizing your calling, you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Then, how do we do this? There is one body and one Spirit, because now what he's doing is I'm going to, these are the tools that you have in your life, that as you live these tools out, the byproduct will be you'll incur, you'll live in patience, You'll be called. This is the way that you're called. You'll live in humility. You'll live in gentleness. You'll live with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Christians, when we live according to our calling, and what is our calling? To glorify God through the followership of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's our calling. When we are called, when we live according to our calling, what happens is we will bear the fruit of living like Jesus. People will mistake you as a little Jesus or a Christian, a little Christ. A Christian means little Christ. Greatest compliment you can ever receive is, man, you're just so much like Jesus, I can't stand you. Yes! Woo! Yeah! No, because you're so in tune with the things that God has you to do. So what does it mean to live according to your calling? What is your calling? I want to I go through and I want to talk about the calling a little bit more. We talk about those behaviors, but what is the calling? Or what does this calling mean what about this calling? Well, the calling of God is irrevocable. Romans eleven twenty nine. 29. Is it up there? What does the calling mean? It's irrevocable. 
For the gifts of the calling of God are irrevocable. Since God doesn't change his mind when he calls you, he doesn't call you and then uncall you the next day. No, he's going to work this process. What does this calling mean? It is from God. He wants to let us share in Christ's glory. 2 Corinthians 2.14 what does this calling mean? It's irrevocable. It's from God, meaning he wants us to share in the glory of Christ. Go ahead and go to the passage there. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what does this calling mean? It's irrevocable. It's from God. It is a function of how God has designed us. Ephesians 2.10, you can just see. I wanna, I, I'm going back to Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. The word workmanship in the Greek is pomia. We are his poetry, his poem created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God had prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What, is, what does this calling mean? It's a function of how God has designed us. We've been called and designed for these good works that he's prepared for us beforehand. It is an assurance that God will give us everything we need to serve him, including the strength to remain faithful to him. You're not lacking anything. First, Second Peter chapter 1, you have everything you need for life and godliness. What else is this calling? Is, is what we should be proclaiming as our true identity. If you're finding your identity in a, in a husband or a wife or your children or your political persuasions, or your political party, or your skin color. No, our true identity must be found in Christ, Christian. That's first and foremost, because that's what the Apostle Paul is citing here as unity for the body of Christ. It's found in Christ. It carries us through suffering. It's rooted in peace, no matter what the circumstances in which we find ourselves. What is our calling is the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. You have been called, Christian. What's the Great Commission? Go and make disciples. You have a calling from God, a commission from God. And you look at that and say, wow, God chose you and called you and created you for a work that only you can do. And he's going to see it through to the very end. Philippians 1.6, he that began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ or until you see Jesus. There's a process. This is the sanctification process. You are called. Second thing I want you to see of the sanctified being sanctified is this. We are unified around the Holy Spirit in our life. It's the second thing that the Apostle Paul is saying here. First thing is we are to live according to our calling. The calling is to glorify God through followership of Christ. We call it what the calling means. And the second thing is that we are unified around the Holy Spirit in our life. My wife and I 
I know you, most of you married people, you guys get along perfectly. You and your wife or you and your husband, you guys get along perfectly. You never have any arguments. You never have that agree to disagree moment. I know that's, I know because you are way more sanctified than I am. You're further along in the process than my wife and I. I get it. I get it. But here's the deal. The unification of the church is around the gospel of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here to understand. Have you ever met a Christian that doesn't speak English from another country? The joy, the joy that you have. And they don't even speak your language. I remember this, this friend of mine who was Russian. His name was Peter. Man, the guy didn't speak a lick of English, and I didn't speak a lick of Russian. And they left us alone, and we're, we're about to go in and have this conversation because the, the, we were waiting for our interrupters, the translators. You know what I'm talking about? They interrupt. You start get going, and then they interrupt you and say what you're saying in a different language or talking about the weather or saying something totally different. But anyway, so we're sitting out there, and we're waiting to have a conversation, waiting for our interrupters. And we introduce each other, and, and you know, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm my Russian. His English was a little bit better than my Russian. And we're having this conversation, okay? And there was such joy with Pastor Peter. There was such joy in our hearts that we were in the gospel ministry together. And even though we could not communicate, the joy in our hearts brought unity, brought togetherness, brought joy. Come with me to Zimbabwe. If I showed you a clip, I could show you a clip. I preached at a church in Zimbabwe. I was the only white person in the room. There were 2,000 people sitting there, and they had the one white guy come preach. And the joy in their hearts and the way that they mauled me and the way that they were dancing and worshiping God, that wasn't the way that I do. I just kind of stand there and I was kind of swaying and that was like, this was it. This was as good. And I think I was even out of tune. I was out like, I was swinging opposite. So I just kind of stopped. I'm like, yeah, I don't have any rhythm. And there's this, this incredible joy. They have Christ. I have Christ. And we're rejoicing together. Because of the Holy Spirit, it has nothing to do with all the things that the world says are important. It has everything to do, Christian, with the fact that we are Christians. This is why Karl Marx, in the Communist Manifesto, said that religion is awful and that you have to get rid of it. Because you can't have a socialistic society and have religion be what he calls is the opium of the soul. Because he doesn't understand and he's never experienced when you have the Holy Spirit and I have the Holy Spirit, there's unity. And that's what the Apostle Paul's saying here. Look what he says. There is one body, the church, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We are unified around the Holy Spirit in our life. Let me go through these together. One body, the church. 
You want to know what these ones are? Let me give them to you. The church, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14. One of the body of Christ. For sake of time, I'm just going to go through this. One spirit, the Holy Spirit, capital S, negating, communicating the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, be not drunk with wine, which is in excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that, that word in the Greek, be filled, it's not be filled one time. It's in the continual, which means continually being filled with the Holy Spirit so that it controls you, so that he controls you. One hope, what's the hope of every Christian? The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ and the return of Christ. 1 Peter 1.3, 1 Thessalonians 4.13. What's our one hope is the fact that Jesus Christ is going to return and he's coming back. And how do we know that? Well, because Jesus bodily rose from the dead. That's where our hope is, Christian. It's not in the laws that we pass. It's not in the president that we have. It's not in the Congress that we have, thank God. It's not in our governor, thank God. It's not in our doctors. It's not in anything. The hope that we have, Christian, is in the fact that Jesus Christ bodily rose from the dead and he's coming back. That should should get us up in the morning. If you're motivated by anything else, if you're spending your time, talents, and resources on anything else other than the fact that, that to perpetuate this gospel and this hope, then your hope is misplaced and misguided. It's one of the things that's really important to us is to link arms with other Christians that are united around the same things. Let me give you some examples we, we, we've united with an organization called Faith Ministries in Zimbabwe, Africa. They have over 40 churches that are perpetuating and got the, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Thailand, we launched a church in Pattaya, which is like the sex, one of the sex capitals of the world. And not like good sex, bad, bad, bad. Sex trafficking and all of those things because we want to see the gospel go there. Honduras, Bolivia, there's church, we have churches and orphanages and, 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 and ministries that we're supporting. We vet these ministries. We have a camp in Tennessee where our students are going to camp. Their, 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 mission, their mission is to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ with every single person that comes through there. And they define the gospel. Jesus is God. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus bodily rose from the dead. Repent, believe, and receive. They define it exactly like us. And that's what they want to, and they, and they bring in, they, 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 they have a scholarship fund. My wife and I, we support it to get kids there that have never heard the gospel before. They bring inner city kids in, kids that are in foster care, and they scholarship them to come to this camp so that they can hear the gospel and they can begin the process of discipleship and they bring them year after year after year so that their lives are transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and the hope that Christ bodily rose from the dead and that he's returning. One Lord, the ruler over all. There's one Lord... I'm not bowing the knee to anybody but Christ. There's one ruler over all. His name is God. 
He created everything that you see. Psalm 97, 1 through 4 talks about this. Go ahead and bring that up. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. We are unified around the Holy Spirit in our life through the one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. One baptism. If you've been baptized and I've been baptized, we share not only the Holy Spirit of God, but we share the baptism that God is, has, has identified us with each other. Why did Jesus get baptized? Was he repenting of sin? No, he had no sin. Why did Jesus go to John and say, baptize me? No, Jesus went to John the Baptist to be baptized to identify with all of the people that had been baptized that were repenting of sin. It was an identification. And so when you get baptized, what you're doing is you're identifying with the people of God, saying, these are my people. Pastor Peter from Russia, who I had great joy with, did speak when we finally got to the translators. I had the opportunity to talk with him. And one of the things he said is he said, oh, there's no persecution that comes for people to raise their hand at a service and say they've invited Jesus into their life. The persecution comes when in the middle of the lake, all of the people that have prayed to receive Christ are baptized, and that's when their persecution begins. In China, you can say you've trusted Christ, But to get baptized, that's when you're thrown in jail. Because what you're doing is you're identifying globally with every single person that has trusted and believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're identifying with those Christians. And a friend of mine, he was a missionary in China. He taught at a university. And at one in the morning, they used to sneak out because the lights would go off at midnight. And at one in the morning, they would sneak out. And all of these Christians would come around the fountain. And that's when they would baptize people that came to know Christ under the cover of darkness. No, the one baptism means that we are unified Through Christ, identifying, I'm identifying with you and those that have been baptized. If you've been baptized, I'm identifying with you. You were baptized, I was baptized, we're identified. Boom. One God. One God. God the Father, Lord of all. Jeremiah 32, 27 says, Ah, Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by the outstretched power there is nothing too difficult for you in verse 27 it says behold i am the lord the god of all flesh is there anything too hard for me the answer is absolutely not see we're all unified around the spirit the holy spirit in our life what does this what does this have to do like so okay so what great wonderful Woo! what does this have to do it means this 
It means when things go crazy in this world and in this society, that our hope is not found in any of the things that we spend our time, energy in. It's, it's in the eternal. That our focus has to be on the things that are eternal. For the things that are eternal last and the things that are temporal don't last. And so when you see all of the decay going on around you and you look and you say, God, what, what, what can I do? How do I, how do I process this? You could blog about it. You could do your characters on your Twitter or your Facebook or whatever thing, Snapface or whatever. Or you could do the most powerful weapon that Christians have. You could get on your knees and you can pray. Pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ would go out and lives would be touched and changed because that's where the hope is for our country. That's where the hope is for this world. That's where the hope is for the beyond. When we have people that truly have believed the gospel and are living out the gospel every day, guess what? We're not going to hate. We're going to love instead of hate. We're not, we're not going to fight. We're going to come together. My wife and I don't get along. I know that's a shock for some of you. There's times that we don't get along. Not, we, we do get along, but sometimes we don't. That sounded really bad at the beginning. So we do get along. Sorry, I'm going to feel that one later. Um, no. There are times that we don't get along, but there are times that when we are just in this huge fight and there seems like there's no end in this argument that we have to step back and say, you still believe the gospel? Yes. You still have the Holy Spirit of God in your life? Yes. Okay. And then it ends there. Because that's enough. That's enough. That's enough. I can join hands with you because that's enough. And the byproduct of the Spirit of God in my life is this. Now, the moment that I stop being conformed in the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, and I resist that, and I resist the work of the Word of God in my life and the Spirit of God in my life, the moment that I start resisting, then guess what? Then we're going to have an issue. Because there's pride and arrogance in my life, and I'm refusing the patterns of God changing me and conforming me into Christ. But as long as we're both open to being transformed by the power of the gospel every moment of every day, then guess what? We're going to continue to be conformed into the image of Christ. And if we're both looking and acting like Christ, then guess what? We're going to get closer and closer and closer and closer together. We're going to be more and more unified. And church, when you do this, we will be more unified. We will be more together. And people will look and they will envy what we have. That's why Karl Marx wanted to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. He says it's the greatest threat to socialism is people voluntarily giving food to others. People voluntarily coming together and unifying around God and not government. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, I want to end with this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, 
And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Let's pray. Precious Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's truth. Thank you, Lord God, that you love us, that you died on the cross for our sins, that you bodily rose from the dead. Thank you, Lord God, that you bring the gospel of peace. And so, God, help us to love each other and to unite together, Father. We love you and thank you and praise you. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen.